Canine Podcast. All right, look at that. We are live, and we're actually on Instagram today, it looks like anyway. We'll see how long that lasts. And uh, if it does go out, we will um, we'll still be on Twitter, YouTube, and it looks like Float is working tonight as well. Uh, I am still locked out of my Facebook account. Um, for those who don't know exactly what happened there, essentially, I, um, I got hacked. And then they posted something that got me uh, suspended. Um, and all I, I don't even know what post it was. All Facebook will tell me is it had something to do with child sexual exploitation. Uh, so I don't know if it was a picture of my kids with a dog that their algorithm thought was bad. Or I don't know if they actually posted something like really bad on there. Um, but I'm still locked out of that. Uh, I've um, requested it to be reviewed. I've sent a couple emails and blah, blah, blah. Uh, don't know if that's going to get fixed or not, but, um, without further ado, uh, we will go ahead and jump right in. So hello everyone, and welcome to episode 117 of the Protection Dog Podcast, where we offer an alternative to conventional training methods and philosophy. I'm your host, Joel Riles, and today we are going to talk about what is the perfect homestead dog. So the reason we're doing this is, you guys know I listen to a guy, Jack Spearco, excuse me, drinking my Jim Beam Black, and um, we, I went to one of his events, and they had this thing called a barter blanket, and he offered a uh, two-day business consult, and, um, and when we were going through that, <clears throat> uh, he uh, told me, I really need to be pushing Canine Academy way more than I am. So I rebuilt the website and all because if I'm going to start driving traffic there again, I want the website to be functional. And so um, I rebuilt the website. And one of the things he uh, recommended that I add in uh, is the training a homestead dog. So we're going to go through um, some of the topics that I have on here. And I want you guys feedback as I'm going through this. Hey, IKC podcast. Uh, I see we have Tracy on here too. It's good to see you guys. Um, so as we're going through, um, we will, uh, I'll try and interact with you guys as much as I can. I'm going to come over here. I already got a comment on uh, you or YouTube, Delta Working Dogs. Nice to see you on here. Shalom. Um, so uh, we are going to go through those topics and I want to know what other topics you guys would like to see added into that. Um, but before we jump into all of that, let's talk about today's sponsor. Today's sponsor is, as I just mentioned, Canine Academy. So Canine Academy is making dog training easy. We have local and online training. As I said, we just rebuilt the website. I'm going to show you guys the two new websites that we have. Uh, one is coming up soon and the other has already been launched. Um, but we covered things like obedience, service dog training, tracking, protection and tactical training. And we're about to add in homestead dog training. Now, our service dog, uh, tracking, protection, and tactical training, uh, I'm going to be jumping in and making a ton more content for that stuff. A lot of that will be posted on my YouTube channel and will initially be available to the public. So if you guys don't follow us on YouTube, uh, make sure you go over, follow Fortress Canine on YouTube, uh, click the little notifications and subscribe buttons, and you'll see whenever we go live. <clears throat> but I'll also be uh, put, putting a lot of those videos up, leaving them 
public for a week or so, and then I'll make them unlisted and only available. My wife's got to mute me. She's listening to me on the other side. And I'll make those only available on Canine Academy. Uh, the website for Canine Academy is also changed. It used to be canineacademyonline.com. That website is still up. Uh, pretty soon it will point uh, over to the uh, canineacademy.us because that's our new website, K9, the letter K, the number nine, academy.us. You can also reach out to me at canineacademy at gmail.com and joel, J-O-E-L, at canineacademyonline.com. So that's my email address there. I'll probably be updating that as well to the new canine. It'll be uh, joel at canineacademy.us. But that is not active yet, so don't send me an email there. Remember, you can text me at 813-836-9244. But do not call me on that number. I am too busy to take phone calls through the day. So if you text me, when I do stop and sit down for a minute or I'm just doing things, if I see a text come through and I can stop and respond to it quickly, I do. A lot of times I'm responding to texts while I'm out training dogs. And I literally have pups or older dogs in the middle of an exercise and they're doing a wait uh, during that exercise. I'll pull my phone out. I'll check for messages, DMs, that sort of thing. And then I put my phone back in my pocket and I start training again. So I do not um, take phone calls most of the time. And if I do, it's very rare and probably um, I made a mistake. So um, also when you guys are doing um, the uh, the texting uh, or if you call me and your number is not in my phone saved, um, I'm not picking it up. Right. It just doesn't happen. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time. I also want to remind you guys about the Fountain app. You can get it at Fountain. I think it's FX. Um, And this app allows you to to stream to yourself uh, Bitcoin while you listen to podcasts. If you already listen to podcasts, go over to the Fountain app. You can find this podcast on the Fountain app. And uh, pretty much anything that is on the Apple um, podcasting app or the Apple podcasting, uh, whatever they call that, the the database uh, is on the Fountain app and you can find it there. If there's somebody that you listen to uh, and you go to uh, look for them and you see that you can't send them sats, you can't boost them and stuff like that, it's because they haven't claimed their podcast on the Fountain app yet. And you can send them a message and tell them, hey, you shouldn't hate money. Claim your podcast on the Fountain app so that people can start streaming you sats and uh, boosting you uh, sats. Sats, if you don't know, are the uh, that's short for Satoshis. There are 100 million sats in a Bitcoin. Bitcoin right now is about $24,000, so about 30 or so sats is a penny. Um, so you're dealing in small amounts of money, but money is money, and it adds up over time. I've been using the Fountain app for a couple months now. And I've got something like uh, 20,000 sats in there. Most of that I use to boost other people that I listen to. Um, but if it keeps building up the way that it is, um, then eventually I'll move some of that over onto my hardware wallet. Uh, if you want to find out more about Bitcoin, uh, I recommend you check out Bitcoin Breakout Podcast. That's also Jack Spearco. And uh, he does one a week on that side. It's also in his survival podcast um, feed. But the uh, he covers a lot of stuff and he goes into a thing called the Lightning Network, which is a layer two on top of Bitcoin. And that's what the Fountain app uses to be able to do these tiny transactions um, called uh, microtransactions. But they're basically free as you're doing them. So um, something to check out. I highly encourage you to do that. Let's jump into our training stories. So today I'm going to talk about one of the uh, things that we did on a fairly regular basis up in Canada. 
And we would use, they had these tunnel systems built under, uh, underneath the training field. And there were probably a couple hundred yards of these things. And I'm assuming they put them in with like a, uh, an excavator of some kind. And they were kind of a wood framed uh, rectangular tunnel. They were about six feet underground. Uh, portions of it were flooded and kind of stayed that way because the ground's not perfectly level there. And uh, But a lot of them were dry and they all had kind of a gravel base to them. And then uh, there were multiple entry and exit points around the training area. And we used to get into these tunnels. And when it was the boys training, we would all jump in with our dogs. The first guy would uh, crawl forward, you know, 20 or 30 feet or so. Next guy would come up and uh, crawl right up to his feet. Next guy, next guy, next guy, till we were all in. And, uh, and then typically these were um, like confined space drills. So the last guy uh, in would crawl over everybody and their dogs with him and his dog. And then when they got to the front, the next guy in the back would crawl over everybody, next guy, next guy like that. So there, you're in a tight space. There's um, people crawling over you, dogs crawling over you, dogs crawling over your dog. Uh, people interacting that way, all sorts of things like that. And what would happen, mm, I don't know, about 25% of the time is uh, you'd get to the other end and you'd start getting ready to get out. And all of a sudden you see the, these tiny little water bottles, you know, those tiny little water bottles you can get. One of those would drop with a little fuse sticking out of the top of it. And, uh, and Chief would make little black powder bombs. And he'd pour, I don't know, it was probably a half ounce of black powder, just a small little amount in the bottom. He'd kind of crush the water bottle down so it was fairly flat. He'd poke a hole in the lid and he'd push a fuse down into it. And you you know, used to be able to buy, I don't know if you can still do this anymore, but at like um, army surplus stores and stuff like that, you used to be able to buy coils of fuse. And it was like 10 feet of fuse or whatever. And so you use about six inches of fuse for one of these things. He'd feed it down in there. He'd light it drop it down into the tunnel and boom, it would go off. And what it would do is it would fill these tunnels with uh, high sulfur uh, content air. It'd fill the air with sulfur. And you, you essentially couldn't breathe in this stuff. And so what we would have to do is uh, because there was gravel on the ground, the only air that was uh, clear to breathe was the air down low to the floor because the sulfur is, essentially would float up, right? And so we would have to grab our dogs. We'd dig a little hole with our hands in the gravel. We'd put their nose in the, the hole, we'd stick our nose in the hole, and you'd have to chill and wait out um, till the, the air cleared, right? This would take a minute or two, maybe three minutes, and then we could go about doing our stuff again. But people would lose their shit during this exercise. Um, a lot of the, not a lot of the dogs, but sometimes you'd have a dog that um, would freak out in this environment. And so we'd be correcting the dogs and, and uh, getting the dogs used to that kind of stuff. And then um, on several occasions we had people totally lose their shit when this stuff would go off in the tunnels and i don't know if they just didn't know what to do i don't know if they knew what to do but they you know lost their ability to, to rationally think like you do under stress but they would um they would sometimes lose their shit and it would like that's a scary thing when you're trapped in a tunnel with your dog <clears throat> and all of a sudden you can't breathe and you don't know what to do so that was a fairly high stress exercise that we do. Now, once you got used to it, it was like, oh yeah, he's doing this again. And then you just deal with it, right? But for the people that weren't used to it, um, it's important to understand shit happens sometimes and you've just got to figure it out on the fly. This is another great reason why you and your dog should both be going through stress inoculation training. You can do a lot of it yourself. Um, go back and look at my episodes to search for stress inoculation. And, um, and you'll see a lot of stuff on that. If you just look up stress, you see a lot of my talks on 
um, the physiological and cognitive effects of stress on a person, high stress, like in a life and death threat situation, um, things that happen and how to train yourself to deal with it. Uh, also, I know I mentioned this um, once, but the Facebook account is still down. So essentially, apparently I can still post to Facebook um, via the share from Instagram, but I can't go on and respond to any comments. I can't uh, access my account. I can't get onto it to physically see it at all. And, uh, and I don't know if that will be fixed period. Uh, when we get ready to start pushing Canine Academy again, um, in Facebook ads, I will probably have to open a brand new account and, uh, and start all of that from scratch. But I want to let you guys know, uh, none of these live streams are going up on Facebook right now because I can't access it. And, um, and there's some form of StreamYard logs in to my Facebook account and Facebook goes, ah, 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 you've been a naughty boy. You can't get on Facebook right now. And, uh, and so that uh, gets locked out. Uh, I've got a couple of you guys have reached out about the joint collaboration conference. I don't know if that's what we're going to call it, but that's the best thing I have for it right now. Um, if you weren't here last week, we are thinking about doing a uh, conference for dog trainers who want to get together. We don't all have to agree, but we can get together. We can collaborate. We can share training methods. Uh, we can talk about why we do certain things, why you do certain things. Uh, let's test your methods out. Let's test our methods out. And it would be basically two days. Uh, we would set up some speaking times and then we would set up some times to just go out and do some training and, uh, and show each other drills that we do. Uh, why do we do them? Kind of test our dogs on other people's drills and, uh, and then also doing some protection training and, uh, and seeing how that works, um, you know, putting some things to the test, uh, teaching people how to do things from various different perspectives. If you are a dog trainer and you are interested in coming down and participating in that, let me know. I'm thinking generally um, probably in the late February timeframe is when we would put this on. And, uh, and that way it would be relatively cool down here, uh, not in the hot months of the year so that we could do a lot more outside and, um, and not have people falling out or dogs getting overheated from uh, doing too much work. Also our new shirts, I showed them last week. My wife has finished, uh, using our heat press and putting all of the prints on the shirts. Those will be going up on the website, uh, sometime next week. So a couple of you on the uh, chats. We're saying you're interested in getting some of those. And, uh, and so now we have that capability and we have them all made. So we will be getting those up on the website here shortly. And with that, I am going to show you guys. Let me see if I do it this way. If I click on that, there we go. I'm going to show you guys the new websites. So this is the new Canine Academy website. And so you come on here, you can explore our courses. There's a login button now. I'm also going to try and figure out how to put a log out button. Somebody was asking for that a little bit earlier. And so I'll try and figure out how to get that on here. I have to figure out what the URL that I send people to to log out is. But you scroll down. Um, there's some. I'm going to be making a few updates on some of this stuff. There's some things I want to add in, like our new uh, Create Control Correct um, ideology and uh, simplification of our methods and kind of how that works a little bit. But here's the courses. I'm the admin, so I'm enrolled in everything. But we have our basics. That's the first four modules of K9 Academy. We have the monthly, and that one trickles in two modules per month. And in the fourth month or, or after the fourth month, you get access to the rest of the 12 modules. And then our annual, I'm probably going to be changing this name to our advanced training. Um, 
And that one, let me see if I can show it to you here. On that one, we have our advanced training modules. I may be breaking those out as their own thing once I get them filled out, but right now they're just going to be underneath the K9 Academy uh, annual subscription. That's $200 for the year. So you scroll down and you see here's our, our 12 modules, module 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And then look, advanced training, how to train your dog like a professional. This is going through our 12 pillars of dog training, uh, protection and tactical training, dynamic movement training, uh, tracking with a dog. And we're going to continue adding in our advanced stuff here. And we can kind of expand some of these out so you can see this was a uh, tracking class that I did and recorded. So that's uh there for you. I'm going to be adding more demos and stuff like that and uh, do some videos on starting a dog on tracking. Dynamic movement, we start talking about how to do some of the exercises around your dogs and then we're going to work in more of the movement drills. This one uh, has just some of the intro stuff in it. We're actually going to start going through some of the tactical drills and things that you can be doing to introduce your dogs to firearms and stuff like that. And then um, these are the 12 pillars of dog training overview and then pillars one through three four through six, seven through nine and 10 through 12. So that's what's in there so far. And we're going to be continuing to add and build that out as we go, including the topic we're going to talk about today, which is uh, the homestead dog. And, uh, and that will be uh, its own whole thing on there. And then the other thing I want to let you guys know is we have a forum on this website. So um, I have this forum currently set up where it is open to the public. All you have to do to participate on our forum is register on the site. You do that by going to the um, login and then uh, you'll see a box where you can put in a username and password, but right below it, it says register. You click that little button, you fill some information in and it gives you a username and password. You won't get to access any of the, um, the training modules, but you'll be able to come over here to our forum and I have a few things just started up. We've already got a couple of uh, comments and stuff like that, questions from people. And I'll be coming in, uh, checking this several times a week. And uh, if you have questions, if you have training tips, if you have things you want to talk about, this will be the place that we'll be starting to do that. So one of the things that we had on Canine Academy before is a private Facebook group, which I can't access right now because I'm suspended. And um, that's where we would answer questions. I would do some videos for people if they needed them, things like that. Well, that uh, getting suspended from Facebook kind of showed me I need to have a thing that I fully control to do this for the K9 Academy. And as it stands right now, nothing is restricted to only members of the K9 Academy. I may create some things that are like that, where you have to be enrolled in one of the um, courses to be able to access certain threads. But I'm going to leave some of these threads open for people to participate. So uh, we're looking for people to join us and participate with us. And if you're interested in that kind of thing, go over and check that out. Also, the Fortress Canine website is being rebuilt. This is not live yet. This is just kind of a preview of what it looks like. And um, But this will be live probably, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks. So uh, there's I've sent some screenshots out about this, but you can see... We are doing a major big time facelift uh, on our website. So I looked at it on my uh, my phone. Let's see, will this restart? This is a video that plays when you first, there we go. Is it gonna play for us? I don't know. It may not play for us, but um, there it goes. And so that's kind of up 
on our banner. We have about us, protection dogs, information on the dogs. There's a link to Canine Academy. Uh, and once it's live, I'm also going to be, we'll, we'll build out the storage of Mirror, the Canine Academy store. Uh, so there'll be two stores, but you can access our stuff from either one. And then we are also going to be adding in a, um, what was it going to say? Oh, the, uh, it's going to be our blog, but the blog is going to be all of our Protection Dog podcast episodes. So you'll be able to come here to the Fortress Canine website and go to our, um, and it, instead of saying blog, it'll say Protection Dog podcast up there. And you'll be able to access um, any of the episodes on the podcast, do search for certain episodes, all of that kind of stuff. So that is all the stuff that is new on the dog set. I've been doing a lot of work on the computer, a lot of work sitting in front of or at my desk in front of my screen. And uh, I don't like doing that very much, but I think you guys will enjoy it and benefit from it. Um, okay. One of the other things I wanted to mention, we started mentioning this last week is you know, I always talk about how our topics relate to dogs. Obviously, we do, like we're doing today, uh, topics that are very, very dog-specific. Uh, we are the Protection Dog Podcast, after all. But this is also um, built as a lifestyle design podcast. So we talk a lot about uh, designing your life to be the way that you want it. And uh, so if you are interested in those topics, I encourage you, uh, go onto your podcasting app, whatever you use. I recommend Fountain. And... Um, Subscribe to Protection Dog Podcast. It is not the Protection Dog Podcast because it bothers me that every podcast name starts with the. It's just Protection Dog Podcast. Um, subscribe to us. If you use the Fountain app, you can stream Satoshis to your account uh, while you're listening. And if you listen to podcasts, um, you'll be doing something that you already do anyway, but through the Fountain app. Also, we are going to be at the Self-Reliance Festival. We are going to be... Um, presenting there and we're going to be doing a big multi-day demo of the various things that our dogs can do and uh tickets are available i think now it's like 75 bucks to sign up it is in camden tennessee and you can find our affiliate link to sign up for this and to find out more information in the video notes below on youtube uh, I don't know how Twitter shows these notes, so I've got to get on and uh, see what that looks like on that side and float. Um, but if you are watching this and you want to get that link, go over to our YouTube channel, uh, Fortress Canine, and in the, the video notes below the video, it uh, has a link to our um, affiliate link at the Self-Reliance Festival. Remember, if you want to interact, you want to make sure that I respond to your comments, please put them in all caps. If there's something you want me to directly address, but I do try to go through them. We don't get too many comments, so I do try to go through them and respond at the end. All right, so let's jump into our topic. Take another sip of my whiskey there. So what is the perfect homestead dog? Well, some of you may be going, what the hell is a homestead? So a homestead is, we call this place a dog stead, right? Because it's kind of a little bit of a homestead. Uh, but obviously our main business is training, breeding, and selling dogs. So a homestead is where people basically uh, try to produce as much of their own food as they can. A lot of people that are into homesteading uh, are into things like permaculture, which is how do you um, do stuff in a sustainable manner. Um, I am big into automating things because I have a job to do and I'm busy doing that job. So if I put in a garden or I have trees uh, growing in pots that are going to go in the ground soon, um, 
I don't want to have to water those all the time, right? So I set up automated uh, watering. I set up automated watering uh, on our raised beds in the back. I set up our um, hydroponic system so that it auto runs, that there's timers that run the pumps and the lights and all of that kind of stuff. And <clears throat> so there's different ways to do it. If you're interested in any of that kind of stuff, I recommend uh, doing some YouTube videos. Uh, Jack Spierko at The Survival Podcast also talks about a lot of various different homesteading things. And, uh, and so we are going to go through some of the topics that we would want to, a lot of homesteaders want a dog, a lot of homesteaders have a dog, but then they're like, well, how do I train my dog to do this? And how do I train him to do that? And that is what we are going to go through tonight. So first of all, uh, a homestead dog, while it could be a protection dog, you could either train your own protection dog or buy a protection dog from somebody like us and then do additional stuff to have it be a homestead dog, but they're not per se protection dogs. But you typically do want a homestead dog to be protective over the homestead, to bark when there's uh, people there that are unfamiliar, um, and to watch over a lot of homesteads have some kind of livestock. Many of them have poultry, chickens, or ducks, things like that. Some of them are doing quail. And so you want your dog to be protective over the space, but not necessarily be a full-on protection dog, right? So uh, ways that you can do that are you build suspicion in your dog over things that you want your dog to be hyper alert to. So uh, let's say that you are up near a road, and somebody's walking down the road and you're outside with your dog, that's a great time to start going, who is that? What are they doing? Are they supposed to be there? I don't know if they're supposed to be there. And then your dog gets all like, oh, I don't know. Who is that person and what are they doing? And so when they start paying attention, right, sometimes they'll they'll just hyper-focus on the person, right? Because they're, they're out of the ordinary, probably. If you're on a homestead, people don't usually walk up and down the roads. You can do it when people are delivering packages, all of this kind of stuff. Obviously, you want to contain your dog so that the person delivering or the person walking down the road doesn't actually get bit, right? But if your dog, like, starts paying real close attention to them, really focusing on them, oh, good alert. Who are they? What are they doing, buddy? Good alert, right? And if they bark and you want them to bark, you can praise them for doing that. It's similar to livestock guardians, but livestock guardian dogs differ very specifically from homestead dogs in this way. If you have a well-bred livestock guardian dog, and this is uh, Tracy that just mentioned this, so I'm glad you mentioned that, Tracy. If you have a well-bred livestock guardian dog, livestock guardian dogs were bred specifically to be a dog that will bond to other animals, not humans, okay? Or at least they bond to other animals stronger than they bond to humans. Now, you can mess them up and you can you can create the bond with the humans, but if they're doing the job of being a livestock guardian, hang on, sorry, on my uh, YouTube side there, I saw the, the Fortress page up. If you um, are training them to do the job of livestock guardians specifically, then what you do is you get them very young, six or eight weeks old. You use a wire crate, which I don't use for very many things, but in this particular situation, you want them to be very aware of the animals around them. And you put them in with the livestock. Now, typically, if your livestock are like free ranging and things like that, you may want to, uh, during this training process, confine them to a smaller space so that they're all very close to the dog. And what it does is it allows your livestock to get comfortable with the dog and, <clears throat> It allows your dog to get very comfortable with the livestock and they will actually bond to the livestock. 
And so as they do this, um, then and every day you're moving their crate so that they're not standing in their own feces and stuff like that. They can use the bathroom and use what would be a bigger crate than normal for the dog. So, you know, livestock guardian dogs are typically fairly large dogs. So you do want a large um, wire crate and you move it around so that, you know, they're not standing in their own poop and stuff like that. And then um, you're feeding them in there and all that kind of stuff. After a couple of weeks of them bonding, once the animals uh, calm down and, and are comfortable with the dog being there, you start letting the dog out. And you typically let them out for like 30 minutes or so, and then you put them back. You do that for another week or two. And uh, and then once the dog is coming out, they're staying calm around the livestock. They're not hurting any of the livestock. The livestock are staying calm around the dog. Then you basically just let them be with the livestock. And at that point, uh, four to six weeks, they've fully bonded with the livestock. And then you don't want them to bond with you. You want to be comfortable with you because you come out and you uh, deal with your livestock on a regular basis should be just about every day. But then these dogs will guard against things like coyotes, um, depending on what your livestock is, hawks and things like that. And, uh, and they'll be very protective over the livestock. That's a livestock guardian dog. A homestead dog is a little different in that they are essentially your dog, right? They're your family dog or your homestead dog. They could be inside with you sometimes, but you want them to be outside a lot of the time. Uh, they could be just strictly outside dogs if you have a fence or something like that. And, um, and so uh, these dogs are protective over the livestock. They're good and safe. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute uh, with the livestock. But they're not, their primary job isn't to stay with the animals all the time. So that would be the difference there, Tracy. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's an important distinction um, that they're not the same thing as a livestock guardian dog, right? They have a lot of other things that they do. Uh, another one is guarding the gate or the perimeter. So this comes back to the protective nature. Um, it's nice to have a dog that when somebody new shows up at your fence or at your gate and, um, and they're there for whatever reason, that your dog alerts you that they're there. They bark. They basically tell the person, you know, through their bark, through their communication that they're giving that, hey, don't come in here but I'm letting my person know that you're here, right? And so they typically will bark. And sometimes these dogs will naturally, uh, depending on the breed that you have, if somebody does come over the fence or come in the fence when they're not supposed to, they will actually engage with them. Um, but the biggest thing that you want them there for is to basically say, hey, don't come in here, that you're, you don't belong here, right? And they can do that with people, that's useful. Uh, but we also want them doing that with any other kind of predators. Uh, so by creating this protective nature in the dogs, dogs have a resistance to biting humans as a general rule. We talk about that a lot in a lot of our other podcasts that dogs who have not been trained to actually engage with human beings in a fight, because we are a pinnacle predator, uh, will usually not engage with human beings in a fight. Every so often you'll get an exception to that rule, but as a general rule, they will not do that. However, they will very quickly engage with other dogs, uh, other animals that are predators, once they have kind of learned and realized, I'm supposed to watch over um, these birds when I'm out here, right? These chickens or these ducks, I'm supposed to keep these sheep safe. I'm not supposed to hurt them. And I don't want other things to hurt them either. Right. And uh, so training this guarding into the dogs is very useful in that way. And one of the best ways to do that is when you first get the dog on ground, or you could start this after you've had the dog for a little while, is you start acting very suspicious whenever any of these things happen. So you see a raccoon, you uh, 
see a coyote, you see coyote footprints or raccoon uh, footprints or possums if you have birds, right? And you go, whoa, what's that? What's that right there? And you like all interested in it. The dog's like, whoa, what's my person interested in? And they come over and they start acting interested in it. And we're going to actually do full videos on all of these. And they're like, whoa, what is that? And then they start to get the scent because the scent is there. The animal's gone now, but the scent is there, right? And um, and they start going, oh, if I smell that scent, I'm going to do something about it. And they'll be very quick to engage with those animals. Our dogs here have actually killed about three possums. I don't even know how possums get in. I have a suspicion, but I've never seen it. Um, but two possums have gotten in kennel runs and, uh, and one possum outside. And the dogs just grab these things and just kill them. Right now, I actually don't mind possums right now because I don't have poultry on ground. Uh, we're going to in October. We're super excited about that. Um, but I've got to get the infrastructure put in place for that. But the dogs just naturally will attack and kill these things when they see them. And then um, as long as they're good around your livestock and poultry, then they're safe around your animals. But then they'll be naturally protective uh, against these other predators. Now, one thing to be aware of, um, going back to the livestock guardian dog thing, is if you have a really bad coyote problem, when I say really bad, they're packing up. How do you know coyotes are packing up? You will hear the packs of coyotes from time to time. They have this kind of yippy bark, yip, 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 and the, but there's a bunch of them doing it, right? And so you'll hear it in this little range of space that the pack is in, and, uh, and that's how they communicate. You start hearing coyote packs, you want to make sure you have at least two either homestead dogs or livestock guardian dogs. The, a young dog, they will coax away from the flock and then the pack will attack it and kill it. Okay, so coyote packs are very dangerous for your livestock guardians and your, um, your homestead dogs. So if you have a couple of dogs, especially if one's a little older and wiser that can communicate to the younger one, hey, don't go out there and mess with those. Right. Because um, once they're away from their their a herd, they'll do two things. They will draw a dog away from the, the animals they're supposed to protect. And then the rest of the pack will come in, kill a couple of them and, and eat on them. And then they'll run away. Right. Or um, they will lure a dog out and then attack the dog itself. In either case, the job isn't being done by the dog because the dog's essentially being tricked by the coyotes. So if you have coyote packs in your area, uh, you want to be very um, aware and cautious of that. And you want to make sure you have multiple dogs. Three to four would probably be better uh, than two, but you want at least two so that if one does leave the pack to go check something out, the other can stay behind. And a brother-sister pair um, is often good for this, or if you have any intentions on breeding them, uh, getting a male-female that are unrelated or at least far enough away from each other that they can safely be bred uh, might be a good idea. So another thing that we want to do uh, for a livestock guardian dog is train them to be good around our livestock and poultry. So I start them on this very, very young. So I uh, typically use our Malinois, Dutch Shepherds, German Shepherds, and I start taking them into the flock of birds as early as I can in terms of how old the dog is. Right now, if you've already got a dog and you're training for this, um, you want a good correction measure, whether you're going to use an e-collar or a prong. We use prongs primarily. If I want to do it at a distance and I want the dog to be free ranging, free roaming around the property, an e-collar works better because I can disassociate myself from the correction. But um, I usually move with my dogs at my side. And so I take them in when I'm taking care of the birds. 
excuse me there. I take them in when I take care of the birds, when I'm feeding them, watering them, all that good stuff. And, um, and I just keep them on lead beside me. And if they act like they're going to uh, mess with the birds in any way, even if they just want to sniff at them, I give them a correction and I tell them, leave it. Right. And then they just learn pretty quickly. Hey, he doesn't want me. There goes those damn phone calls. Let me know on uh, Instagram if you lost my audio there again. Sorry about that. Um, I need to put that do not disturb on uh, Thursday nights at five. So if you guys lost the audio, hop over onto the YouTube side. And if, are you on Instagram, baby? Um, all right. Just let them know, hey, we're still good on the YouTube side. Okay. If it doesn't come back up on the Instagram side. Um, okay. So we, I take them around the livestock or the poultry. I correct if they uh, mess with them. And by mess with them, I mean even like sniffing at them, right? If it's like sniffing at them, then um, I correct them. I say, leave that alone, right? I essentially want my dog to totally ignore the birds or the, the birds are the ones that are mostly at risk, but you don't want to messing with sheep or goats either. Uh, you really don't want to messing with cattle because cattle can harm them pretty bad. They can stomp them and stuff like that. Now there are dogs that are specifically bred for bre or for herding cattle. And uh, that's a little bit different, right? We're not talking about herding dogs here. We're talking about just a dog that is on a fairly small piece of property, 10 acres or less, and you're growing food and you have some livestock, right? If I'm going to use an e-collar and I'm going to do this separate from myself. So this is for a situation where I just want to let my dog out the back door or the front door. I have a fenced in property. My dog knows where the boundaries are. They know not to leave. And, um, but while they're out there, I don't want to mess in with my specifically birds is the primary one, but I don't want to mess in with whatever's out there. Right. In this situation, I put an e-collar on the dog. Now I use e-collars and I recommend e-collars for teaching the dog to stop doing a negative behavior when I don't want to be associated with the correction, right? And uh, so what I do is I put the e-collar on, I make sure it's fully charged, and I don't do anything with it for a couple weeks. So if you're doing this with your dog and they're not yet good around your uh, livestock, then you don't let them around your livestock during this time frame, right? What I want them to do is essentially forget they have the e-collar on. I don't want them to be like, when he puts that thing on me, I can't do this, but when he takes it off, I can Right. So I want them to forget they have it on. So I put it on and I just leave it on them for a couple of weeks. And then I take them out around the, the animals, whatever the animals are, and I just let them go do their stuff. Right. They walk up to a chicken and I zap them. And I don't say anything. I don't do anything like if they run back to me. Like, hey, hey, this thing just happened. I just go, what happened, buddy? Like, I don't know. You're good. Go on. Do your stuff. Right? And they go back up to the animals again. I zap them. Now, I typically set these uh, mid to high level, depending on how reactive your dog is. If your dog's pretty resistant to an e-collar, I go high. If they're pretty sensitive, I still go like a mid-level. I don't go low where like, okay, I won't do that. But like, I want them to go, you fucking get near those birds they're electric birds and they shock the shit out of you. That's what I want my dogs to think when they go up to any of the livestock or poultry, right? Leave them alone. They hurt when you go near them. So we're not going low setting here. We're going mid to high, depending on how reactive your dog is. Like if you get a yelp, that's probably a good thing, right? You don't necessarily need it, but you want to go, holy shit. Like, no, I'm leaving that thing alone right? That's how you want them to react when they get that pop. If I give them a pop and 
it, and it's set at the proper levels and they don't immediately go, oh, then I go bam, 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 three times in a row, right? If they still don't react, I give them a three second ride. There's typically on these uh, remotes that you use on the e-colors, there's the, the like instant, like the one pop that you can do and you hit a button and it gives one little signal or there's another button that you can hold down and it runs continuous until you let it go, right? So I go one pop. If I didn't get the result I wanted, I go bam, 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 three in a row. If I still don't get the result I want, I probably need to ramp that up. But I give them like a three-second ride. One, two, three, and they're like, Wah! And this is not to be mean to the dogs. This is to teach the dogs, don't even go near those things. They shock the shit out of you when you go near them, and you want to just leave them alone, right? So we're the goal is we don't want to make the dogs per se afraid of the animals, but we want them to know just just don't mess with them, right? Now, they may be afraid initially once you do this and be like, no, just stay away. But 99% of the time, once they realize, hey, as long as I stay away from those things, I don't get shocked. They don't mess with me. I don't mess with them. We're just both out here in this space, right? This typically only takes a couple of days of doing, but you do need to dedicate a couple of days of going out with your dog and watching them closely, but from a distance, right? So I'm, I'm like, I'm not doing other things. I'm not being distracted. My job today or for the next couple hours is we're going to come out here. We're just going to let the dog roam and we're going to teach them don't mess with chickens, right? And you dedicate that time and then you bring them back in. So you may have to break that up 20 minutes at a time, <clears throat> go back inside, come back out for 20 more minutes, come back inside, right? But you need to keep an eye on your dog the whole time you're doing this. If they realize that chickens are tasty and that they're food, even if they think sometimes they shock me, they'll be like, but there was that one time I got that chicken and it didn't shock me and it was yummy. So maybe I'll try it again today, right? So you want to try and avoid them ever getting them in the first place. And then you want to keep an eye on them while you're doing this training. So moving on, the next one is bad birds. So if you have poultry, this is one of the things I have to watch around here. We have hawks. Um, we have several different kinds of hawks around this property. And I'm getting ready to bring 10 uh, American breast chickens on ground. And I'll talk a little bit more about them when we get them. And we'll probably do some videos um, that we'll just leave up on the YouTube channel about having them because I have to get some stuff um, built in order to be able to bring them in. I have until October, like the middle of October is when they are supposed to come in. And, um, and so it's helpful when you have dogs that watch the sky for things that are up there and, and try and get it when it comes down. Right. And so I call this teaching bad bird. I have two of my dogs over here getting loved on by my wife and they're just like, yay, this is great. He's not paying attention to us so we can roam. Plutz. Good Plutz striker. And so um, the way that we teach bad bird is very similar to the way that we teach guarding a gate uh, or a perimeter. And that is we go out, we dedicate time to this training and we watch the sky and any birds you see that are the big birds, right? So this could be vultures, hawks, eagles, any of that kind of stuff. We're not worried about the little flitty birds that flit around and they're not really predatorial. We're talking any bird because the dogs don't necessarily know that's a vulture, but that's a hawk. Right. And I don't care that they know the difference. I want them to see when you see a big bird in the sky, that's a bad bird. Keep your eye on it. If it tries to come into our area, go get it, catch it, kill it. Don't let it hurt our birds. Right. And so we, we go out, we look around, we start seeing some of these birds in the sky and we go, oh, what is that? What is that boy? And we try and get their attention 
and we were looking dogs generally will look to us and they'll be like what are you paying attention to well whatever he's paying attention to i'm going to pay attention to what is that in the sky oh my person seems really interested in it right and that kind of vocal is oh what is that what is it keep an eye on it boy well they kind of go oh maybe i should do something about that thing and so we go out we do this for a couple of days until we notice that anytime our dogs see a bird in the sky they're like walking around looking at it and they're keeping an eye on it right and different dogs will do better jobs at this than others they do need to have some desire to kind of catch and chase these things and then they'll keep their eyes on them but if you do this job well like the hawks will still there the hawks they're very um strategic in the way that they hunt so if they see people outside they're probably not coming down and getting one of your birds when there's people outside right once they learn that there's dogs on ground when they see the dogs outside they're not going to even come down and try while the dog is out there which is why for this particular purpose if you're going to have a homestead dog that you want guarding birds you probably want at least one that is an outside dog only it always stays outside right it doesn't come inside always has water place to go for shade all that good stuff but it has free range of the property outside it's been trained around your livestock and your poultry but it's also been trained in bad bird and then um the hawks they kind of do flyovers and they go up oh, there's a dog out there not messing with it but they will come and hawks will go and they'll perch and they'll watch and they'll do this for a couple of days and they'll be like oh he lets the dog out he brings the dog in once the dog is in there i I scan over. Nope. There's no threats to me. Now I can come down and try and get some of these birds. Right. And so that's why I say, if you're going to have a dog um, that you've trained in this, you probably want a dog that is outside all the time. Hawks don't hunt at night. So if you have a safe place, you're putting your dogs, then you can have the dog out during the day, you know, get up first thing in the morning, let them out to use the bathroom and just let them stay out there through the day and then bring them in at night. Right. But teaching bad bird is a very, very valuable skill for the homestead dog. Cats and dogs. If you have a homestead, you probably want some cats around. If you um, are keeping feed for animals, right? Things like mice and other rodents that get into that feed can be a big problem. So if you've got cats, like we do, we have two cats on ground. And my cats get fed about half as much as they need to be fed each day by us. So what that does is it keeps them coming back into the kennel but it also requires that they go out and hunt during the day. And so they come in, they eat every morning, they get petted on. They're like, yeah, this is fun. I always know there's going to be some food here for me, but I'm still kind of a little bit hungry. So I need to go out and I need to find me some stuff. So they'll catch the mice. They'll catch the frogs. They'll catch the lizards. Occasionally they'll catch a bird, um, which we you know try to minimize, but there's not a lot you can do about it with cats. But if you have a homestead dog, the homestead dog needs to be good with the cats that are on ground. So you can use similar methods that we used with the livestock and poultry. Um, the thing I like to do is when I first got my cats, we went through a process. At first, we brought them home to our actual house. And, um, and a lot of you, if you have a homestead, your house is on your homestead. Our house and our dog set are two different locations. So we have a house and then we have our kennel here. And our kennel is where we do most of our, quote, dog setting stuff, right? So when we first got these cats, they were both real young. One was a little kitten and one was like a slightly older kitten, probably like six to eight months. I don't know how, how old it was exactly, but about six or eight months. So we brought them home. We set up a litter box and they just lived with us for 
what did you say, about a month? Yeah. Probably about a month in the house. And um, and we wanted them to know we're friendly, we're good people, we pet on you, um, you know, don't run away when you see us. Then we brought them over to the kennel. Now I knew if I just put them in the back with the dogs, the dogs were gonna see them, the dogs were gonna bark at them, they were gonna freak out, right? So I wanted them to get used to the kennel. So we have an office space, which this is my office space here at the kennel. And um, so we set up the litter box here and then we kept, for about another month, we kept them in here. And then I would close up the back of the kennel and I moved their litter box and their food out there. And so at first it took them probably a month after they got in the back area to, I have on top of my kennels, I have these, I built a floor on top of the kennel because the kennel's so tall. I had all this space up there. I'm like, I'm wasting all that space. That could be storage, right? So I built a floor on using the kennels as like the vertical supports and I have a bunch of stuff up there. And so um, our cats basically went up there and they're like, we are not coming down, right? Uh, put the litter box up there. We fed them up there, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and they're like, we're not going down there. And after about, it was probably about another month. This was probably like a one month at home, one month in the office, one month, you know, hiding from the dogs in the back. And then they started coming down a little bit when we would go back there. So we'd go back there and they were starting to get used to the dogs would bark when they'd see them and stuff like that. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, those dogs, they can't get us. Right. And then they would come down and we would pet on them and we would love on them. And once they started doing that, the minute they started doing that, I moved the litter box down and I moved their food down and I put it in. I have these, I call them crate stackers. So we have dog crates and we do crate training with the dogs. And so I have these wooden crate stackers built where there's a crate on the floor and then there's a crate above that crate. Right. And it's set up so there, there's um, three of them. They're all pushed together and connected. And so I can have six crates in like a little set. So what I actually did was I pulled the two crates out of the top. And I put a litter box in the one space and we put their feed and their water and a little the cat toy thing they can play with in the other space. And there's a, a piece of plywood, a thin piece of plywood on, the, on both sides, on the outsides. So when they get in there, the dogs pretty much can't see them in there, right? So the dogs kind of chill and calm down. So they can go in there and they can use the bathroom. They can go in there and they can eat. And then at this point, they pretty much just like to walk up and down the kennel runs and get the dogs all worked up. They're like, ha ha, I'm out here and you can't get me. And, uh, and some of the dogs don't care. And some of the dogs are like, ah, I want to try and get you. Um, but most of them are just like, I want to get out and interact with that cat, but they bark when they do it. Just like if I let a dog run loose in the back, all the other dogs bark. Cause they're like, ah, we want to get, get out and play. And so getting your dogs good with your cats and getting cats that are well-trained on your area to hunt the rodents and things like that can be highly, highly useful. Venomous snake training. This is one. I actually put this question up on the MeWe group uh, that Jack runs. Um, it's the Survival Podcast group on MeWe. And, um, and I said, hey, what topics would you guys like to see covered in something like this? And venomous snake training was one of them. So venomous snake training, there's a couple ways you can do this. Um, one of the easiest ways that I've found to do it is you get a snake, uh, like a rubber snake, right, from dollar store or wherever. And um, you can go on Amazon probably and find like rubber snakes, right? And I take a piece of fishing line. So it's very thin. It's, it's hard to see. It, it blends in real well. And I tie the fishing line onto the snake and um, I take my dog out and I grab the fishing line. The fishing line needs to be like 30, 40 feet long, right? So I can be kind of far away from the snake. And uh, either I have somebody else do this for me or I do it myself. I'm using an e-collar again, the way that we did the other stuff. And I start making the snake move, right? But I don't make it move like you can't really make it move the way a snake moves, but I make it move in a way that it's interesting to the dog. So the dog like 
I kind of jerk it forward a little bit and then it waits and it jerks forward a little bit and the dog's like, whoa, what's that? And they run over there and then just the same as I would have done with the chickens, I zap the dog for getting too close, right? Basically, I want the dog to know, don't mess with snakes. So if we have them trained not to mess with any snakes, then we don't have to worry about which ones are venomous and not because I'm not going to teach my dog to identify rattlers versus king snakes, right? Uh, I want king snakes around. They eat the rats and I don't want um, the venomous snakes around, but I don't want the dog to think it's his job to go and kill those snakes. Now, there are certain dogs that really excel at this, like Jack Russell Terriers will hunt snakes and kill them, and they very rarely get hurt by the snakes. There's also things you can do. There, there are, um, if you're in a place with a lot of rattlesnakes, there are, it's, they call them a vaccine, but they're more like an anti-venom treatment in advance that you can do. So if your dog gets bit by a rattlesnake or something like that, it minimizes the, um, the issue of them, like they can deal with the poison a lot better, right? But if you want your dog to be trained for um, staying away from venomous snakes, that is one of the easiest ways to do it. There are people that use live snakes to do this training. Uh, I don't want to deal with live snakes, even non-venomous ones. Um, I don't mind them. I just don't have any interest in dealing with that. I have, I'm busy enough as it is. So um, my favorite way to do it is using the rubber type snakes and, uh, and then just training them just like we did with the poultry using the e-collars. Another one that's important is if you have any kind of size property, you're probably going to end up with an ATV, a side-by-side, -side, something like that. And so how do you train your dogs to move with the ATV or to ride on the ATV and not do things like attacking the tires, right? So the first time I put a dog on an ATV and it moves, they generally want to jump right off, right? So what I do is first I just get them used to loading on the ATV and off. And my ATVs, I've, I've had both. I've had the side-by-sides with a little, uh, like a cargo space in the back. And I have one right now that's just a standard, like, you know, you ride it like a motorcycle, but it's a four-wheeler. And it's also got a little spot in the back. And a lot of times I throw my bike equipment up there and I ride it out to the field we're doing bike work and then I ride it back. Um, but my dogs love to run with the ATV. Now they don't really try and, and bite the tires, but if they did, here's what I would do. So first, I'd want them to get used to riding on the ATV. Why do I want them to do this? Because if they're on the ATV, they're not biting at the tires, right? And if I have a dog that wants to bite at the tires, but they'll ride on the ATV, I just say, knock it off, get up, hup, and they jump up, and then we can go do whatever we're going to do, right? And so the biggest thing they have to get used to is it moves, right? So they get on it, it's stable, it's not moving, and then all of a sudden it moves, and so they'll figure out, hey, when he puts his hand over there, we're probably getting ready to move, right? But we start off moving slowly and not jerky, right? We don't want to like accelerate and move and have it jump forward where they lose their balance and kind of fall over. And then I put a lead on them and I hold the lead and I'm not trying to do anything when I'm doing this. I tell people when you're getting, you're starting to run with your dog or things like that, don't go out to work out, go out to train your dog. And because if you're trying to work out when you're trying to train your dog, you typically get frustrated. If you're just going out for the training and a byproduct of this training is I'm going to do a little running today, then you stop to fix the problem with the dog and you don't get frustrated about it because that's what you're there to do. So um, I get them used to being on it, right? And we start slow, we move and we're pretty much going in a straight line and then I'll start making slow turns and I'm holding the lead in my hand, one, to keep them from jumping off or to correct them if they do jump off but also because it helps give them balance. So if I'm holding the lead and I start to accelerate and they, they start to lean back because it, their 
what they're standing on is moving out from under them, right? Then the lead goes tight and they're like, oh, okay, I can, I can get my balance back up on this ATV. And then I get them used to the turn. So they learn when I lean this way, you need to lean that way. When I lean that way, you need to lean that way. So they start to anticipate the, the centripetal force. I think that's the right word for it, um, of our turns, right? And they get used to, to making the turns with us. And then I start letting them on the ground run beside me. Now, first, I just let them run and see what they do. And if they don't try to attack my tires, then it's not something I have to worry about. They do try to attack the tires. There's a couple things. I don't recommend the first one. I know people who just, if you have a lightweight vehicle, they'll just run over them. And they'll be like, yeah, don't do that again, bonehead. Right? I go, that's too high a risk for uh, injury to me. Uh, my dogs are pretty tough, but I still don't want to run over them, even in a lightweight vehicle. Right? So um, what I do is I put a lead on them and I have them run beside me. And again, I'm not trying to do anything else during this time frame. I'm just dedicating this time to training the dog. I run beside, I, I'm, I'm going, I'm maneuvering with one hand. I have the lead in my other hand. They go for the tire. I correct, right? If you want to do this, uh, if you have two people, this is a little easier. You can also do it with an e-collar. And uh, anytime they go after the wheels, you just zap them with the e-collar, right? And then they learn, oh, those are electric wheels. Don't get near them. They shock you. So that's how um, the simple version. Now, again, I'm going to do full videos on all of these things, um, but that's the simple version of how we would deal with um, having a dog move in around on an ATV and not have issues with them uh, trying to bite at your tires. Now, what my dogs will do, and I just deal with this, is they like to crisscross in front of the ATV, right? So they, they do this sometimes if, if you're not keeping them in a foose when you're walking with them is like, I need to go that way. There's a, uh, like in my office here, there's a doorway right there, right? My wife's desk is right behind me. You can actually see it on the corner of the, the video. And, um, and so there's a narrow space here to walk through. And my dogs, if they, if I'm getting ready to take them outside, cause I have a door right there, right there. And, um, Hey baby, baby, see that's there. She is touching me. So, um, they'll get in, they'll, they're like, Oh yeah, we're going to go outside. They'll get in front of me and they'll either start spinning or they're like, They'll get right in front of you and then stop and look back at you like, are you coming? And I'm like, yeah, but you're in my way, bonehead. Get out of the way. Right? And um, so they'll do a similar activity with the ATV. They'll like cross. They'll kind of get right in front of you and then they'll stop and look back at you like, are you coming? Right? And so you have to be cautious in the beginning with your acceleration. Don't get going so fast when they're close that you can't stop in time. Right? And uh, so I get going. They kind of they cross one way, they, they kind of stop and I, I turn this way and start going. Then I turn that way and start going. And then as soon as I got an opening where there's enough room and I know I can safely gun it and go, then I just hit the throttle and go. And now they're kind of running beside me or a little bit behind me. Right. And then they'll just do that. And, and once a dog's run, like I like to take them out. We have 18 acres in the back that we don't do much training on, but it's a great place to, to do big loops with the ATV and let four or five dogs at a time just run with me. Right. And they just they think it's fun. And then we come back and they jump in the pools and cool off. And then another group of dogs gets to run. And um, so as you're going, most of these ATVs can go faster than the dogs if you really floor it. And uh, so I typically run them between 20 and 25 miles an hour in the field. And as I'm going, if they do get up in front of me or if I'm starting to turn and they're like cutting the corner and getting getting ahead, then I'm just cautious until I can can throttle it back up and, and be out where it's safe. And I'm not worried about running over the dogs. Um, okay, not chasing deer in other game. This is something that, number one, it's important to be aware of what kind of breed you have. If you have a hunting breed or a dog that you've trained to hunt, and especially if you've trained it to run game, 
then that's probably your hunting dog and you need another dog for your homestead dog. Some dogs will do multiple jobs well, but a lot of dogs, they have one job they do. And you, when you try and get them to do all these other jobs, it's like you're, you're counterproductive in the other area you want them to, to do a thing in, right? So like a lot of your mushers don't do much obedience with their dogs because they find it makes the dogs run slower. So they're like, the purpose of this dog is to pull a sled and to run for days at a time. And so we don't worry about obedience. We worry about the dog doing the thing I want it to do, right? If you have a hunting dog and it's running game, then it's going to be really hard to get that hunting dog to not run game if it sees it. So those dogs often um, are kennel dogs. They spend time in kennels. They take them out to hunt. They bring them back, put them back in the kennels. So I wouldn't do this type of training with a hunting dog, but with a homestead dog, there's a couple things you can do. Number one is until the dog is proven that it's not going to go chase deer, I don't let that dog be off lead in the yard until it's proven it's okay with it. Number two, I teach the dog perimeter training. We're going to go over that next, but the perimeter kind of is established. And if the dog goes outside the perimeter, it gets a correction. Now there's a couple ways you can do that. We're going to cover those in a minute. The third one is if you've already got a situation where your dog has chased deers a couple of times, then I would go back to the e-collar and I would go out at times that those animals tend to be around like in the morning or the evening. And I would use the e-collar to correct the dogs off of that game. Okay. So that, that's how I would deal with that. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much more time on it, but it's something to be aware of. Next one is perimeter training or keeping the dogs on property. Now, some people are like, how do I keep the dog from wandering too far? Well, first of all, um, you need to build a bond with your dog, right? So again, we're not talking livestock guardian dogs here. We're talking homestead dogs. So I want them to be bonded to me. If your dog is bonded to you, it's probably not going to wander too far from the house. So that means the first two or three months, even if you're getting a pup, the first six months, I'm spending all day, every day with that dog. Okay. And then once it's about, you know, six months with me, it's about eight months old. It starts going out and doing other things by itself. But those first about six months, I want a super strong bond with that dog. I'm going to take it with me everywhere I can. I'm going to do everything I can do with it. And, uh, and I want a super strong bond. Once you have that, the chances that your dog is going to wander very far away if it knows you're inside and it's outside is pretty low. The other thing is you should have a perimeter fence. Now, if you have a big piece of property, like I had a 10 acre property in Kentucky. Um, I had about an acre to an acre and a half fence. The whole thing wasn't fenced, just the acre, acre and a half was fenced. And so if I let dogs run loose in the yard, that's where they were going. They were going into the fenced space, right? But if you have poultry and things like that, you want your dogs, you want to fence that space in is my recommendation. Now, if you can't afford a full fence, because fences can be expensive and you cannot afford a perimeter fence, you can get something like a, um, I forget exactly what they call them, a wireless fence or a, a hidden fence. It's essentially, the, the way it works is it, it works on an e-collar concept, only it is a specific collar that senses when it's near a, a wire, a certain kind of wire. So they, they send you the wire in the collar and you bury the wire in the ground. I think you only bury it like you know, a couple inches deep. It's not very deep, right? So you can use the ditch witch or something like that, create your perimeter, and then you drop this wire in and you just cover it up. And then it's plugged in to an outlet so that there's um, some form of electricity going through it. The ones I like, and I think they're all like this now, when they first got 
they first came out, what would happen is about six feet from this wire, it would start to buzz. It would start to vibrate, right? And then about three feet from the wire, it would start to shock the dog. And the problem was it only affected, it only shocked the dog when they were near the wire, right? And so some dogs would figure out pretty quick, if I can charge through that top speed, I only get shocked for a second and then I'm home free. I can go do whatever I want. So the newer versions, you create a full loop with the wire. And if they're inside the loop, that nothing happens. If they get six feet from it, it vibrates. If they get three feet from it, it shocks them. If they go outside of it, it keeps shocking them until they go back inside, right? Now, you have to train your dog how to deal with this. You can't just go, okay, well, I'm putting you out and I hope it works out well for you, buddy. No, you go out. I like to use a long line for this. This is also how I perimeter train my dogs in general. I go on a long line, which is a 15 to 30 foot lead. It's a, it's a long line, right? And if you don't want to buy one, you can just go to like Home Depot Lowe's, get a rope, a 50 foot rope or whatever, 30 foot rope and buy a simple snap clip and just tie the snap clip on. And then now you got a long line, right? And you clip that onto the dog's correction collar and I walk the perimeter with them. And I do this multiple times a day for several months. Okay. And we walk the perimeter. Anytime they go right up to the edge of the fence, I correct them, leave that alone. And then in the space that I want them to be in, I give them essentially freedom to walk with me. But if they go right up to the fence, leave it alone. And as we're walking, I say, good perimeter, good perimeter. If you want to use another word, you can. And then after a while, you just take the dog out and just go check the perimeter and they'll go walk the perimeter. But they know don't mess with the fence. Right. And uh, and we're going to that there's a lot more nuance to that. So that video will be a lot more helpful than the description I just gave. But you, you want your dog perimeter trained and you want a good, strong bond. If you have other dogs on property, um, whether they're in kennels or tie outs or things like that, oftentimes those dogs being there will uh, keep the dog that's loose close because they'd like to interact with each other. Right. So he'll run over. He'll interact with these dogs. He'll interact with those dogs. Then he'll go do his own thing. But they generally don't go very far away because, well, they're, they're little pack, they're little other dogs they interact with, they're over here, right? So I don't go too far from them. Um, okay, one that uh, somebody asked about on there, and so there'll be a little bit of information on this video, is finding dogs that don't shed. So if you can find a well-bred poodle, and that is almost impossible, uh, but if you, if you go to like some hunting um, forums and things like that, you may find some people because poodles are water retrieving dogs like Labradors. And, um, and the poodle was bred. It, it's a hair dog, not a fur dog. So they supposedly don't shed, right? They still will, will shed some hair, but people that have dander uh, allergies tend to not be nearly as reactive to poodle because um, they have a different type of its hair instead of fur. And I can't tell you the technical difference. I just know that's that's what they say is the difference between the two um, types of dogs. That's why doodle dogs, breeding poodles with different dogs, um, are popular because you get dogs that people that are allergic to dog can have, right? And so um, if you find, can find a well-bred poodle or doodle um, that's from working lines, then um, you can get something that sheds less. Some of them, they say don't shed at all. Uh, I'm not big into these dogs. Several of my clients have them that we, they train well, right? They can, uh, the, the working line dogs can be somewhat high energy. So you want to put some discipline into those dogs. 
Um, but that is just worth knowing if you're a person who's allergic, but you're wanting to do something with these homestead type concepts. And then the last one bullet point I have here is socializing and stabilizing the dog to your environment. So you want to set boundaries for your dog, teach them the boundaries before you teach them the behavior that you want, right? Here's what's not acceptable. Now within all these acceptable things, here's the thing I really want you to do, right? And so whatever that is for you, some people are like, I don't want anybody near my fence, period. End of story. Uh, delivery guy, here's a box or, or here's a big sign on my gate that says, leave it out there. Don't come up here near the gate. Something like that, right? Other people are like, oh no, I want my dog to be friendly with the delivery guys. Uh, now, if you want a dog that's protective over your space, that's probably going to be counterproductive. But whatever your acceptable parameters are, you want to start exposing the dog to those things fairly early. So um, if you let somebody come in your gate and walk around with you and you don't want the dog to be reactive to that, start inviting friends over when the dog's young and welcoming them at the gate. Hi, how's it going? Come on in. Close the gate behind them and then tell your dog, oh, this person's friendly. They're good. We like them, right? And if you want to go a step farther and you want to build that protective nature, you can have somebody probably wearing some kind of protection like a bite suit. Uh, so you may want to go find a trainer to help you with this. Uh, and just say, hey, I need you to come over a couple times. I'll pay you 100 bucks each time you come over. And um, can you rattle the fence? Be kind of a mean guy. Maybe jump the fence. My dog goes, Rawr! you're like, ah, and you run off, right? And then the dog's like, whoa, people don't get welcomed in. They're bad. But the people that get welcomed in, they're good. Uh, you want to socialize and stabilize your dog around all the other animals that you have around. You want to socialize and stabilize your dog around your kids and your family. Right. So you want to make sure all of this is incorporated into all of the other training that you're doing. So ask yourself as you're going through your training, are there any times I wouldn't want my dog to do this thing I'm teaching them to do right now? And if so, incorporate that into the training that you're doing so that you don't end up with a bigger problem down the road. All right. So what I want to know from you guys is what did I miss? What other things do we need a homestead dog to know how to do so that I can add those topics in when we start building this module? And uh, and so you guys can send those to me via email, joel, J-O-E-L, at fortressk9.com. Uh, you can text them to me, 813-836-9244. Do not call me. Uh, I guess if you want to call and leave a message, you can, and I'll probably eventually check it and go, oh, hey, I should add that in. Um, but the fastest way, if you want to actually interact, is to send me a text message. Um, you can also uh, go onto our forums on Canine Academy and uh, and leave them there for us, uh, or we will go through some of our comments here and we'll see what we have. So I'm starting with Instagram. We're scrolling up. It's good to see all you guys here. The FK9 System Philosophy and Tactics Work. This is IKC Podcast. I just posted a video to my YouTube of my homestead dog working a new obstacle. That's awesome. Um, this is uh, Texas Joe, IKC Podcast. And uh, awesome guy. If you don't follow him, you should, especially if you're interested in homesteading stuff because he's uh, a homesteader and does a lot of videos and stuff like that on homesteading. Uh, I really liked your uh, TikTok on and maybe at other places too. Uh, but on uh, Tractor Supply, when you took your dog in there and did the down stay at Tractor Supply, uh, pretty cool stuff, man. I enjoy it. Keep it up. Um, looks like we didn't lose our audio on Instagram. That's good. Uh, so we already addressed the Livestock Guardian dog thing that Tracy brought up. Uh, the disassociated correction is one of the best things you've taught me. Yeah, there's times 
that you want your dog to not do something, but you don't want them to care whether you're around or not. Like barking outside can be one, right? Now a bark collar works better for that than an e-collar because it senses the vibration um, from the bark itself and it, it always corrects. The first one, it gives them a beep. It's like, hey, don't bark again. The second time they bark, it gives them a light pop and then it builds up for like six levels until they're like, okay, okay, I shouldn't do this, right? And it, it will condition them not to bark. But um, I had a client one time, I've mentioned this numerous times, that their dog would jump up on the sliding glass door when they, they their dining room table was just inside their sliding glass door. And so they'd sit down for dinner and their dog would run around the backyard and then run up and it'd go, pam, on the sliding glass door. And it was really annoying to them. And so I said, put an e-collar on that dog, act like you don't even know it's happening. And every time he touches the sliding glass door, shock him. Right. And he'll be like, well, I don't know what happened, but now if you touch that sliding glass door, it shocks you. So don't touch it. Right. So there are times that you want to disassociate yourself from the correction. And that's when we use the e-collar. So I don't use it for pretty much anything else. Um, there are a few there's, there's an e-collar now that's lead activated. So when you take your lead and you pop your lead or if the dog pulls into the lead, it will shock based on that. That can be helpful for people who are weaker that aren't strong enough to correct your dog. Or if you have a really big dog, like a um, Great Dane, right? We have one of our clients has a Great Dane. And so uh, when she starts struggling and having issues with a certain thing, we go back to that collar. And then when she pops, the Dane's like, well, okay, I'll take you seriously now. Because even on a prong, she pops and he's like, yeah, that didn't really mean anything to me. He's a 180 pound dog, big, strong boy. And so um, he needs a, a more... Uh, significant correction for anything to mean anything to him, but he's generally pretty good. And just on a prong, she can usually just move him around and, um, and she's very consistent with him. So she's doing a great job, but that would be the only exception to uh, that rule is if you have somebody who's much weaker compared to their dog. Right. So, I mean, you, somebody might be able to handle a chihuahua fine, but then you get a great Dane and they're like, oh, I can't freaking handle this dog. Right. Cause they're super strong and powerful. But um yeah, the disassociative training can be very helpful. Um, okay, it was okay for a while, then bam, no more chickens. Uh, yeah, yeah, you do want to keep an eye on your dog. So, okay, after you do training, especially with something that the dog can look at as food, right, like birds, is even after I am like, okay, the dog pretty much doesn't want to mess with these birds, I still keep a close eye on those dogs for a couple of months. And... I want to be out interacting with the dog and the birds together, even after that, from time to time, right? Like fairly regularly. If, if I'm going out and taking care of my birds, I probably want my dog to be out there with me. And I want to keep, keep an eye on it. If they start acting like, mm, I'm a little more interested in this bird than I was before, I go, all right, we're going to do some more training, right? I might initially go, hey, knock it off, leave it. And, um, but I, I'm going to go, mm, yeah, we probably need to, to reinforce this again, right? Different dogs will be different uh, in relation to that, but that's just something to be aware of. Good point there, Tracy. What if you're feeding your dogs raw as well as whole prey? Uh, are you teaching that dead killed birds is fine and a live bird um, is like is harem? I think it means is, is like, okay. So yeah, if I'm feeding my dogs, typically when I feed my dogs raw, I haven't done it in a while because getting a supply of raw is hard. Uh, plus, buddy. But um, if I'm feeding them raw, typically what I do is I would freeze the chickens and cause I, I, you can feed it. If you feed chickens, whole chickens, you feed like every other day or every third day, depending on how much the dog is gaining weight. And, um, and so rather I, I didn't like the idea of feeding one day and then either letting it rot or 
um, having them just wait a whole nother day and fast every other day. So what I started doing was I throw them in a deep freezer and then I pull a chicken out and I'd use a chopping block and a hatchet. And I put the chicken, the frozen now solid chicken on the chopping block, take my hatchet and I go whack right in the middle and it would go and split into two pieces. And then I throw half to this dog and half to that dog. However many dogs you have, you split these chickens and you feed them. Then they're going, this thing isn't moving, right? It's dead. And, and my person gave it to me. So really the key factor there is when I give you something to eat, you can eat it. If it's walking around on our property, you don't touch it, right? That's the difference. So hopefully that makes sense. And, um, and so if you do your um, e-collar training with poultry and then you throw a bird down your dog's like, uh-uh, then you just encourage them until they'll eat it right? And then you go, good job. They sniff a, a live bird, zap, right? And then they'll learn pretty quick. Oh, okay. Like th those and this aren't the same thing to my person, at least, right? They might be like, they smell similar, but they'll be like, but they're different to my person. Those things you don't mess with. These things are okay. What I wouldn't do is grab a live chicken, wring its neck and toss it to my dog, right? Because unless you're going to physically keep that dog away from those chickens, um, that's a little too close to the mark and you're probably going to have issues and it's going to be difficult to, uh, to correct that. Um, can people have mongoose in the U S I think you can, uh, I don't yeah. want mongoose. Uh, I don't know how you'd keep them around outside without running off into the wild. Um, but I have heard of people having mongoose. They, they have a certain odor to them. I, I've never specifically smelled them, but like if you look up mongoose, cause my daughter wanted one. So we were like, okay. all right, let's look them up. And, uh, and they're like, you almost always want to have the scent glands removed. They have a very strong odor and, uh, and the scent gland, even after you remove it, they still have a pretty strong odor. So for me personally, I have zero interest in mongoose. Um, but it's at least, uh, what are you worth looking at. I know. Right. Um, all right. Idea for online academy at home agility training, showing people how to set up simple. Okay. So I have in canine academy, let me see if I can show this to you guys real quick. Um, go back here, back to canine academy and the courses. This loads. A okay. Why aren't we loading? Come on. Why is it giving me that? Hang on. Back to the homepage. I need to check on that. Why is it not? It gives me a little hand on all the others, but it gives me like a, it's text on this one. Um, all right. So it's loading up. We're going to go to the courses. I have how to build a simple obstacle course. So it's basically uh, just using a couple of um, pallets and some two by fours. And you can, um, you can see that. So I know if you're on Instagram, you're not going to be able to see uh, the Academy. Let me see. I'm actually going to try and turn this around. So you guys can see it. It's not going to be perfect, but ah, I'm trapped. There we go. All right. Can you guys see that? Oh, look, it's lined up pretty well. Okay. So if you scroll down, it's in module six. I shouldn't have clicked on that. Now it's going to take a second. Uh, in module six, the last video is building a simple obstacle course. And then in module seven, we start introducing obstacles and doing the obedience on the obstacles. So um, we do have that in there, but I appreciate that idea. Sorry about all the shaking around. There we go. All right. Um, 
And just finished reading this. It says showing people how to set up simple but great activities like you do on the field, but they can do at home with everyday stuff. Yep. And uh, I should actually do one where we use like because um, we do this at clients house sometimes when we go and deliver. Uh, we don't take a bunch of obstacles with us, but I'll just grab some ladders, some boards. I'll grab like their their lawn furniture, you know, the chairs and stuff like that or their lawn table, you know, the stuff that sits out on the patio. And we'll make a little obstacle course with that stuff. But if you use that concept um, based on the video that's in the academy, it will um, you can get very creative with that sort of thing. Um, so I see you guys interacting with each other. Thinking to look at the question. What do I look like a game warden? Um, a few of my friends in the UK have these dogs called lurchers. So they're sight hound mixes that they use for hunting rabbits for pest control. Some use them. Uh, some of them use ferrets to ferret out the rabbits. Very interesting. Uh, I've not heard of those before, so that's pretty cool. Cart pulling. <laughs> um, I guess you could do that. I don't want my dogs pulling my carts around, Tracy, but if uh, if that would help you out, I could see how that would be useful. All right, so now we're over on the YouTube side. Wow, you guys were very active on YouTube today. <laughs> um, this is great. I love that we're getting more activity over here. So I'm going to scroll down. Most of these are not in caps, so I'm assuming you guys are just interacting with each other. Uh, where is that at? Okay. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. There we go. We'll put that one up. Look, what's the best bang for your buck on e-collars? Basically the least expensive that does everything you'll need. There are a bunch of collars out there that are pretty decent now. Um, I would look for one. If you have only one dog, um, then it, it probably really doesn't matter. The biggest thing I would do is go on Amazon and I would look at reviews. Even if you don't like Amazon, you're not going to buy it on Amazon. Go onto the Amazon website, look up e-collars and then read the reviews. A couple of things. If you're going to be doing any of this kind of stuff, when it may potentially uh, be raining or when your dog's going to get wet, make sure you get one that um, is waterproof or can handle the what the water. Uh, you would think they would all do that, but they don't. Some of them are not waterproof. So be aware of that. And, um, the, the one that I use now, I think it was, I think it's a Garmin and uh, Garmin basically bought out Tritronics. Uh, Tritronics used to make the top of the line e-collar. Uh, they used them in hunting dogs a lot because you could run nine, uh, e-collars on one remote. And so it had this little setup where there were three buttons and each button had, um, three colors around it and you know, the one color was number one, two, and three, one, two, and three, one, two, and three on each button. And then you could dial one, two, or three, and you would get color-coded collars for the dogs. And then if it, what they would typically do is like, if you're supposed to be running rabbits and they see one of their dogs running a deer, right? They dial up and they shock that dog off that deer so that it, it goes out with the rest of the dogs and it looks for rabbits, right? Um, and, uh, and vice versa. So uh, Tritronics used to be the kind of gold standard, Um I will try, you know what I'll do is I'll find my e-collar because it's not handy right now. It'd take me a minute to go grab it. And um, I like it, the one I have right now, but I honestly cannot remember the brand. Uh, it's not a cheap one though. It's like 120, 150, somewhere in there. The Tritronics ones were uh, like in the $300 range. Uh, and if you don't have multiple dogs, you don't need one that's that high. The one I have will do two collars. Um, so you can do two dogs, you flip back and forth. It's just a little switch. You flip up and down, uh, to determine which dog, which collar you're, you're sending the correction to. Um, 
but you really don't need to spend a lot of money. I just wanted one that was going to last a long time. If you're not planning on using it for an extended period of time, uh, I would just go on Amazon and I would look up um, the colors and then I would read reviews and find one that matches what I want it to do. Um, you probably don't want one in the $30 range, John. I would look more uh, in the 60 to $70 range. You'll probably start getting some decent quality uh, in those ranges. And look, we had mongoose conversations on both sides, on the uh, Instagram side and on and on YouTube. That's pretty funny. Um, okay, so let's see. They're forbidden in Florida? Yeah. Talking about mongoose? Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Um, she actually looked it up. Yeah, I uh, maybe they're, they're one of these that you have to get special permits for all over. But uh, I do know that some places in, in the U.S. you can buy them. Uh, people keep them as pets. Um, they're basically a weasel, though. They're like a, in the weasel family. They're just... Uh, they're kind of like the, uh, uh, has, what, what is it? Tasmanian devil's like a bear or something like that, or a badger. They're, they're a version of badger. And, uh, like the honey badger is like the worst of all the badgers. The, the mongoose is kind of like the most aggressive of all of the, uh, weasel, uh, things, the weasel breeds, I guess you'd call them. All right. So, um, I don't see anything else highlighted. So thank you guys for being here. I really appreciate it. I appreciate all the interaction. Uh, I would be very, very interested in any other topics that you guys think would be good inclusions into the uh, Creating a Perfect Homestead Dog uh, module on Canine Academy. Remember, you can always reach out to me uh, via email, joel, J-O-E-L, at fortresscanine.com. You can always text me. I interact with all of my texts. I don't always get to them right away, but I, I check multiple times a day on text. If I don't reply in a day, um, it may be because I saw part of what you said and I'm like, I need to give some time to respond to this. And if I open that text, it drives me crazy that you can't mark text as unread. Um, if I open it, the blue dot goes away and I forget about it. Right. So I won't open it until I have time to actually sit down, open it. If I have to go check something or, or you know, research something before I respond, I, I and I don't have time right at the minute. I don't open it until that time. But if it goes like three days, and you don't get a response back from me. Text me again. I may have accidentally opened it and then forgot because there's no more blue dot on it. Right. But I try to get to those fairly quickly unless there's something that uh, needs a deeper response. And then I, I want to make sure that I have time to respond to that before I open it if possible. Uh, also, uh, check out our websites, FortressK9.com and K9Academy.us. I will say, at least on my iPhone, uh, the US, when I do .us, tends to uh, autocorrect the IS is. And so I have to like fix that. Uh, after you do it multiple times, it'll realize, oh, you actually did mean to type in .us. And it will stop autocorrecting. Um, but if you type it in and it, it's like, this website doesn't exist, check and see, did, did your phone autocorrect? to .is instead of .us, but caninacademy.us. I will be trying to get caninacademy.com. It's currently being, it's currently owned by somebody, but they're not even using it directly. Uh, so that will be like a future project for me to contact that person and see if they will sell me that URL. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Float, and MeWe. Uh, we're also, I've been a lot more active on Twitter lately, and you can, uh, all of those um, usernames are in the notes below on the YouTube channel, and, um, and they'll also be in the show notes of the podcast itself. If you can give us ratings, give us five-star ratings, tell your friends about us, share our stuff on your pages. And um, next week's topic, I, I'm going to start trying to do this where I let you guys know what's going to happen next week. We're going to be talking about exploring our sixth sense 
what it is and how to hone and use it. So that should be an interesting topic. Uh, getting back a little bit more into some of the lifestyle and protection uh, concepts that we get into. But um, also the ah, damn phone calls and spam risk on uh, Instagram. So um, also puppy sales. If you guys want a Malinois or a German Shepherd puppy anytime in the first half of next year um, or sooner, then you need to let us know now. We are starting to get those litters filled up. And once we get six reservations on a litter, we stop. So if we have a larger than eight pup litter, we will sometimes offer those for sale uh, at the time, but that is not a guarantee. And the people I offer them to first are people who already have reservations on puppies um, for a future litter and they get first dibs before I make it public. So if you wanna make sure you get one of our dogs and uh, we have a couple of breedings coming up in the um, maybe late August, September, October timeframe. And, uh, and so those pups are gonna be available either December uh, or January, February, maybe March is just depending on when uh, heat cycles line up uh, of 2023. Okay, so if you are interested in getting a puppy in that time frame, we're not going to have any more after that until late in 2023. Um, make sure you don't hesitate. Contact us. Um, reach out via text is probably your best way. Again, 813-36-9244. And let me know and we will get you a contract and get you set up. And until next time, remember to train hard and stay safe. Fortress Canine Podcast.